coming up on Tech Nation, my new bespoke French stove, or rather the people and company who built it, a business which has been in tiny Lacanche, France, since before the French Revolution. It thrives today, having changed with the times in some ways, and definitely not in others. It's a story of technology and manufacturing and choice. Let's just say they don't teach this in business school. I speak with Jean-Jacques Auganeur, the CEO of Lacanche, as well as the Director of Export, Chef Patrick Bougeot. All this coming up on this week's Tech Nation. Let's take five with Moira Gunn. This is Five Minutes. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That was a popular refrain when I was young. Whether parents or somebody else's parents or anyone in authority for that matter, when you were outraged that someone called you a name, you can count on that old line being rolled out in response. At one level, it was sort of a, kid, get over it. At another, it was attempting to inoculate you against bad behavior. At still another, the person saying it had abdicated any responsibility to take action, which only occurred to me recently. After a few decades passed, I'm a parent in California, and times had indeed changed. Preschools had three- and four-year-olds face each other, acknowledge the hurt of their words, and make an effort, and yes, I'm quoting here, to fix their feelings. Quite a distance from get over it, kid. In fact, you're not supposed to get over it. More times than not, calling people names is far more deeply hurtful and long-lasting than sticks and stones. It's a stick and a stone, all in one. I don't mean to say that name-calling was supported or even ignored, but there was no catchy refrain for don't call people names, it's hurtful, or saying things just to hurt people is bad. There was no pithy line ready for the circumstance. And if you analyze that sticks and stones line, you might come up with the argument that you could call other people names, and it's not going to hurt them. So who cares? It feels good to evacuate your own bad feeling by saying something awful to someone else. To borrow from the law, no harm, no foul. But nobody buys that. If there was no foul, all us kids would not be complaining about our sibling when mom and dad were out of earshot, or little Johnny down the street, or Polly while standing in line for recess and the whole class could hear. You bet it hurts. And it doesn't just hurt children. It hurts every living, breathing human being at any age. And now today, instead of everyone in the school cafeteria, anyone can say horrible things about anybody else 24-7 to the whole world via social media. Oh, I'll just use an example here. Say on Twitter. Here's the cycle. A person with a huge following, including all the global news media, is without bounds when it comes to saying 
whatever pops into his head. There are layers on layers of hurt palpable in his tweets. And let's just focus on the adjectives. Fake, sick, biased, sad, dishonest, failing, vicious, incompetent, unpopular, sleazy, weak, and terrible. You might as well throw in crooked, lion, and crying. And what are these? They are name-calling. While name is a noun, I'm pointing at adjectives. It's like driving the getaway car. It's the same crime. As a journalist, I can tell you they are subjective and not objectively descriptive. And if you are the target, it hurts palpably. And worse, if you believe that people believe that adjective, if it sticks, interesting use of the word, then you will feel threatened, which was the intent. But hey, big news. We grew up. We built social media, and we can rebuild it now that we have experience with it. We can make disparaging language unacceptable because free speech can't be free. If you are afraid, you will be attacked. I'm Moira Gunn. This is 5 Minutes. Five Minutes is produced at the studios of KQED-FM in San Francisco. Five Minutes is a production of Tech Nation Media. I'm Paul Lancor. From San Francisco, I'm Moira Gunn, and this is Tech Nation. Today on Tech Nation, well, actually, it started five years ago. That's right. Five years ago, I decided that what I really wanted for myself, simply for me, was a French stove. I looked around, and I discovered that there was one that spoke to me. It took me five years, and in that time, I remained faithful to the size, to the main options, and to even the color I liked upon sight. What I didn't know was anything about the people who build it, the company behind it, and the place they call home. For once, Wikipedia was not particularly helpful. There is only one tiny photo, Lacanche's church and churchyard, clearly taken as a quick shot from across the street, with not a car in sight. A line map of France with a black dot marking the location of the town, and a short list of population trends starting in 1968, the most recent figure, 10 years ago. Needless to say, Lacanche is not a hotbed of social media. But in the Middle Ages, Lacanche had resources. Iron and other metals were right there in the ground. You could just dig up the earth, and with plentiful water to wash it and wood to create fire, melt them out. That's right, you could produce metal. So about a thousand years ago, give or take a century, the metal that was coveted for agricultural use, for stirrups and riding horses, for weapons and for decoration, were produced in Lacanche. The arc of this technology, from those early times, through the French Revolution, through the Industrial Revolution, and more, 
is still in Lacanche today, still a sleepy little village, still involved in metalworking, where they actually produced my stove. I knew nothing of any of this for those five years, or even when I ordered it, and yet by happenstance I found that I would be in Paris. Could I come down and visit the Lacanche factory? And indeed I could. At the time of my visit, I knew that they had built my stove and that it was on the high seas, making its way to Los Angeles by boat and then on to San Francisco. I happily made the 185-mile trip down to the village of Lacanche, three and a half hours from Paris, mostly on modern highways, but then the last perhaps hour over two-lane country roads, through vineyards and tiny farms, slowing occasionally to drive through a typical French village. And then finally, with the help of GPS, we found Lacanche. I must tell you that it was not until after my stove was fully underway and they had already agreed to a visit that I asked them for an interview. Here they were most gracious as well. You will hear that interview today and see how the arc of technology always reaches us from some starting point, in this case from the Middle Ages in remote France, to a present-day business with a surprising and original take on technology that may cause us to think about how we might build technology in a different way. I was able to speak with Jean-Jacques Auguneur, the CEO of Lacanche, as well as the Director of Export, Chef Patrick Boisjeau. Jean-Jacques, we are here in Lacanche, France. Mm -hmm. Tell everyone, where are we? Place us in the world. Yeah, it's, uh, Lacanche is a small village located in the heart of Burgundy, the Burgundy region, uh, which is just between Paris and the Riviera and on the midway, uh, more accurately, and uh, deep in the countryside with uh, beautiful landscapes and uh, uh, vineyards and uh, full of uh, French culture uh, and uh, gastronomy uh, inspiration. And yet, Lacanche, France, is a very small place. It's a very, very small place, actually. It's a, a small village um, next to uh, a more famous uh, little city that is named uh, Beaune, uh, on the main wine street, actually, in Burgundy. And um, there are here uh, 650 people living in, in this village. Now, I would suspect that you are the biggest company here in... Yeah, probably. <laughs> the 650-member yeah. uh, yeah. population village? Population village, yes. And uh, there are uh, altogether 130 people working in, the, in, this, uh, in this company. This village has historically worked with iron and metal. Tell uh, us about it. Yes. Uh, basically, that the reason why there is a village... Uh, uh, focused on uh, industry and metal working, actually, is just because there were a lot of iron. There have always been a lot of uh, uh, mines, little iron mine mining in the in the area. And this is and that iron. Started Iron's just in the ground. Absolutely, uh, as a raw material. And uh, it started very early in the history, uh, actually in the Middle Age, uh, where the um, a foundry was was set up actually uh, in the 12th uh, 13th century so and since then there has always been a, an activity uh, an industry uh, focused on metal working actually 
Jean-Baptiste de Richard de Curtil. He was an aristocrat, basically. And uh, that guy died uh, during the French Revolution in 1792. Uh, and um, as uh, the time during that period in France was uh, a little bit erratic with the French Revolution, um, the company or the plant um, was, uh, uh, yes, confiscated by the, 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 the French Revolution, uh, the government, and was sold uh, in an auction, actually, to somebody who was uh, involved in the business and the trade of uh, iron, basically. And um, the company was kept in the same hands, in the same family, for almost two centuries. Mm. But around 1800, we started with the Industrial Revolution. Yes. Big time. Yes, exactly. And the needs were totally different. Um, even if uh, some people say that during the Napoleon uh, Wars, there, there have been a lot of uh, bullets made in Lacanche, actually, uh, um, later on, uh, the, 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 the workshop specialized in uh, uh, cooking equipment, pots, and any kind of cast iron utensils. Okay, so time passes. We go through all of the 1800s mm -hmm. and most of the 1900s, and we get to the 1970s. And the company changed hands. Yes, absolutely. Because, I mean, the, the people habits uh, changed very much so. And uh, the houses uh, became even more comfortable. And people had to, to cook. The, the coal industry uh, produced a lot of coal that was available for heating, for, for, uh, for cooking, etc. And then uh, some specific uh, equipment were required by people, actually, like cookers or heaters. And uh, that, uh, that, that was the, the next step, the next step, the next chapter of the, the, the Lacanche development. And in the meantime, people got electricity, gas yes. could come into your house. Mm -hmm. The whole idea, you just go up to your range, you don't have to build a fire. Exactly. <laughs> so you up. have to adapt yourself and to adapt your production according to the energy supply and uh, the safety requirements. Uh, so you have to seek for new components uh, to develop your own components as well. And that's what happened. And uh, they, 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 they came to a, a kind of more um, mass, mass production, I would say. So in the 70s, after how many generations for 200 years, they sold the company. And they sold the company, yes, after six or seven generations. So my father took over in 1982, and we decided together to relaunch the, the name of Lacanche that uh, disappeared more or less in the 50s, 60s. And this is a rebirth at some point, and we... We are glad we have done that, actually, because uh, the Lacanche brand is now uh, quite famous all over the world. And uh, it's a kind of uh, um, uh, embassy for uh, the French gastronomy and the French culture at some point. Yeah. Well, I have to tell everybody because some people know that I love to cook and you didn't know anything about this. I bought a Lacanche stove mm -hmm. and said, by the way, I'd like to come to Lacanche. And mm -hmm. you were very gracious. Yeah. And then I said, by the way, would you like to do an interview? So you, so far, so good. You yeah, can, yeah. <laughs> you're doing you. well. And I have to tell people that as an engineer, I was fascinated 
This was not a, well, we have this many models and just pick out a color and off you go. You actually make each stove on order. On order. And there are many things to mm -hmm. choose from. Tell us, what, what are all the various things that you can choose? Not a not big ex exhaustive list, but sort of in a general category. What are the things people might choose? Well, people, uh, we, we give the choice to people to make their own selection and uh, design their own cooker, basically, uh, starting almost from scratch. Uh, but that requires a specific uh, production organization, and that's the challenge in many ways. So um, our, our knowledge, our know-how is uh, uh, how to combine uh, uh, craftsmanship and uh, industrial processes. And that makes the, the product quite exclusive in many ways dedicated to the end user, the, the, the person who, who, who makes the choice of uh, his or her own cooker. And what are the kinds of things you can, you can choose? Uh, so you can choose among uh, different types of uh, gas burners, um, uh, induction hubs, uh, uh, plancha, uh, griddles, uh, char grills. Uh, steamers, uh, the traditional French French plate, uh, the steamer plate, yes, absolutely, the hot the French top, yeah. And would you explain to people what a French top is? The the French top is uh, uh, literally um, a, a big uh, cooking surface uh, made of cast iron, on which you can simmer and sear. So you can do both according to uh, the location of your uh, casserole basically so it might be very warm in the middle and a little bit uh, uh, softer on, on the sides. See, I've seen people take their, their yes. pots and move them to the edge and come back in. Yeah, that's the way to adjust the heat according to your preparation. And you could see where underneath, back when you were just making fire, yes. whether it was coal or mm -hmm. wood. It used to be cold before. It used to be coal, mm -hmm. and it's like, well, that's you'd put this on top, and you'd cook everything on yes, top of it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that's why it's traditional, but you still have that as a part of a stove, exactly. as an option. Yes. And when you started out, the stoves were black. They were originally black, yes. And then uh, with, with all the, 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 the research and, and uh, sophistication that were implemented in the early, uh, but forever actually, enamel has been in color for many, many centuries, I would say. Even the Romans were using enamel in their, with, for their own pots and utensils. Enamel on the outside. Enamel, yes, this is not, a, this is not paint, paint coating, actually. This is proper enamel, which is very... Uh, specific and uh, very uh, uh, sophisticated uh, as, as, as in terms of brightness and, and, and choice of colors. And um, so, yes, we have now 24 different colors that, on, that you can choose and select. But we, we make sometimes also a color and bespoke uh, according to specific requirements. A one-off color. Yes. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, but yes. it takes a little bit longer because we need to make sure the the color will fit the the, the, the specifications. But uh, we can make it. Yes, and we our enameling facility is one of the last uh, uh, available in in Europe. I mean, for that type of job. I actually didn't think to do an interview until mm -hmm. I began to understand 
how this all comes together. They are one off, mm-hmm. and yet there are some things that are common. Everything is individual. You don't have a single, well, we'll build this and someone will buy it. Everything mm-hmm. is individual. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole different philosophy about producing these than we usually see today. We're so used to economies of scale. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And we we, we like uh, manufacturing um, products that are dedicated to one, one, one person, to, to, to one end user. And we like the idea of that user keeping this appliance for decades, actually. So, I mean, we are against, uh, I would say, scheduled uh, obsolescence. Planned obsolescence. Uh, yes, for yes. You. And this is not our philosophy. We are more uh, keen on making sure that the, these appliances will be working and reliable for many years. And also we, we try to, and we do our best to, to preserve all the components that are uh, used for one appliance uh, available for the future. So that means that somebody in 30 years will be able to find uh, some spares for replacement. On the outside, these stoves look the same, except for colors. Mm -hmm. Occasionally we add a few more new colors over time. But actually on the inside, you're also changing the technology to improve it. Yes, because we we don't throw away all the developments and uh, research and development that can be implemented in a cooker. We try to uh, adopt uh, uh, and insert new technologies and new improvements in components and spares. Um, but from outside, it's, it, it has to look a little bit li- timeless. Uh, and uh, we like the idea of keeping the same design, which is related to the brand, but also uh, we like we want to improve the product uh, step by step according to the developments we can implement yeah. I know I wanted one with pilot lights and you said I'm sorry we do no we, no more yeah, pilot yeah, lights. yeah yeah when was the last time you made them with pilot lights well uh, probably 15 20 years ago darn 15 mm. years too late huh mm. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have a special request, maybe we can try to develop something uh, specific, I would say. I would say. <laughs> I would say. Um, and that's probably true for many things. Since yes. each stove is unique, mm-hmm. you could say you have the unique colors available if mm-hmm. you would like to try. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is this is the kind of thing that we just don't... You have to wrap your head around today with technology. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a piece of technology, mm-hmm. and yet it is bespoke, as we used to yes. say, for the individual. This mm-hmm. is completely different than we are used to. Yes, absolutely. But at the meantime, in the meantime, we have to cope with the, the safety regulations and all the approvals that are also uh, required um, because we can't do anything without taking into consideration all the rules uh, regarding uh, consumer safety and all these kind of things actually this is compulsory now i walked through the no shortcuts no shortcuts no shortcuts (laughs) now i walked through the manufacturing line and i saw a lot of robotics equipment so it's not like you're starting with the iron in the ground and then producing a stove. Mm-hmm. There is a series of processes which can be, I guess, generally produced. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, um, 
the, the, the production equipment uh, have to be completely updated as well. Uh, there is a concern about uh, uh, production costs, uh, obviously. I mean, uh, you, you, you can be inspired by uh, very good aims and, and, and targets, but at the, at the same time, you need to consider the production cost and, and you, need, you have to make sure that the product will be uh, affordable. And uh, it doesn't make any sense uh, manufacturing something if uh, people can't, can't buy it. And also because it does have something to do with the, the with labor, uh, with human labor and uh, and skills as well. So you can be modern. Uh, you you have to be modern. Uh, even if you consider that former way of manufacturing or the old way of manufacturing is at some point interesting in the way that you can specialize in the, and uh, manufacture uh, on bespoke devices or equipment. Now, I saw a number of instances, I will call them stations, if mm. you will, whether it was testing or putting some things together. And of course, it is each of those are one stove. They're working on this stove, this order. You can always see whose order it mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. How skilled are those laborers? Is that they can they just go down a list and follow it, or is this a skill? No, this is a uh, this is a skill, and uh, uh, the the you can't you cannot learn from 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 schools or whatever. You need to be. Uh, teach by the people who have already learned and, and who have already manufactured the product before. So this is an internal know-how, uh, savoir-faire, uh, as we say in French. And that savoir-faire, this know-how, is transmitted from one person to another. Your father was before you. There were many generations mm -hmm. here. Uh, we're still in La Canche, France, mm -hmm. 650 people. I don't know how many people were here before, but we know how many people are here now. Of the workers, the 130-odd workers you have here today, how many have, rep represent generations of people who have worked here? I would say uh, a third of the people who are now working in the company already had one of their grandfather or father working in the company before. And uh, it's uh, a bit a matter of pride for them, for some of them, and uh, they, they, like, they like it. They like the idea of uh, being the successor of uh, their father or their grandfather or their grandmother at some point. Because, at some I point. mean, there were some women working in the company as well. Well, foundries were classically male. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but there were some other tasks and uh, some other skills that only women could take care of. Yeah. Mm. I know. I saw a woman today. She was coming at me with mm. a forklift. So I know they're working mm. in a lot of jobs. <laughs> and at some point enameling as well. Or... It's a different concept that you could continue today to do this because in, in a real sense in technology we keep saying oh you can't make that business work that's mm. not going to mm. work and yet today you are how many uh, ranges do you produce a year we produce between 4,000 and 4,500 pieces a year and where do they go in the world they go mainly to, to, to France which is still a very substantial market for us but also in Europe, the States, and in other, other countries a little bit far away from Australia or South Africa or 
even Chile or Canada, possibly. They're going everywhere. Everywhere. Well, Jean-Jacques, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you come back. See you soon. Thank you. I've been speaking with Jean-Jacques Auguneur, the CEO of Lacanche. More Lacanche to come after a break. Podcasts of Tech Nation and Tech Nation Health are available at NPR One, iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcast syndication outlets. Coming up in the second half of our show, I speak with the Director of Export at Lacanche, Chef Patrick Roigeau. Stay with us. You're listening to Tech Nation. In Chef Patrick Boisjo's career, he's been a restaurateur, a teacher, and a professional chef, including being the former head chef at the French Embassy in New York. Today, he is the director of export at Lacanche. I started out by asking him about the challenge of building stoves here in Lacanche and shipping them to the world. You're entirely right. You, we, we build these um, these units that are heavy and bespoke, and uh, and uh, we ship them. Well, at the other end, we need to have an entity, uh, partners that will basically pick up those units, check them out, make sure that they're okay, because traveling doesn't work always the way you want, and then uh, bring them to the final customer, install them, uh, make sure that they work properly, and to a certain extent, train them on it. And my role here is to basically take those distributors. We have normally one distributor per country and uh, train them on our product so they can pass on the information to the final customer at the other end. Well, here we have a stove. I mean, who doesn't know how to use a stove, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Maybe. a lot of people, <laughs> just like a lot of people, you know, buy cars and they don't know how to drive uh, on a racetrack. You know, I mean, uh, we all face this dilemma sometimes, you know, I mean, the, so long as the we don't have a problem or an accident, uh, you know, or the, or the road is, uh, is smooth, then everything goes well. And then all of a sudden, if you have a, 
a problem with uh, uh, driving, you know quickly your limitations. Now, I was just speaking with Jean-Jacques, and we mm. were talking the, about the traditional French plate. Tell us how you actually cook with a, a French plate. What can you do with it, and what can't you do with it? Well, it's, uh, we, we call it the, the plaque coup de feu, you know, which means the, 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 the fire shot. Okay, uh, and basically you have a, you imagine as you described it a, a, a plate of steel, you know, a plate of cast iron actually, 12 kilos uh, of cast iron uh, with a hole in the middle and a burner or gas burner, gas uh, flame underneath at the center. And um, once you turn this on, uh, that cast iron plate becomes obviously hot, and uh, the heat spreads very quickly and evenly. Uh, on that plate and then from there uh, depending on where you put the pot on that plate you will get more or less heat so it's in a way it's sort of a hot plate where you can you where you can have on on one end you know at one edge you're going to have uh, something simmering and at the center you're going to have something boiling and let's be clear this isn't a small plate this oh, no. is perhaps 15 inches across yeah. and 24 inches 24 inches yeah exactly this is one big it, oh, it's piece a big piece of, of cast iron. and it and it has a lot of inertia obviously so some people get uh, you it takes some getting used to because uh, the Inertia, what I mean by that is when the plate is hot, you just don't turn down the heat and expect it to cool down in the next three minutes. It's going to take three hours to cool down. Okay, so you need to learn how to use it in order to simmer on it. And uh, at the same time, it's called a fire shot because at some point, if you need to have an open flame, all you need to do is to remove that center ring and then you are directly on the open burner. And at this point, you can have the highest, you know, uh, heat you can have. How hot is that burner? It's a f uh, little more than 18,000 BTUs. Okay. Send your hair off. Yes, it could be. Yeah, it can burn you, <laughs> depending on what you do with it. Yeah, okay. you don't want the cat to run on the on the plate at that point. Good, good time. Good time for training. Yeah, yes, exactly. Training. Yeah. What would be foods familiar to people that they would cook on a French plate? Oh, you would probably do a lot of uh, stewing. You know, Long time, low yeah, heat, exactly. Low heat, simmering. You know, uh, you could. Uh, you uh, it's directly inspired by the by the what you find in restaurants. And in restaurants, basically during the service, you know, the time where you actually serve, cook, and serve people, uh, these these hot plates were um, are and still are uh, used. So uh, you can actually put things on hold while other things are cooking. So you, exactly. You move them around. It's sort of a ballet of, of pots and, uh, you know, moving. So a lot of people uh, do, do that as well. You know, they, they are able to, to cook for their family or their friends or whatever while, you know, the sauce is simmering on, at, at one end and then they're sauteing something on the other end. And uh, that is in the ideal world. In, uh, in, in reality, it takes, as I say, some getting used to, some training, but for, for some avid cooks, uh, it is irreplaceable. And so you have that. That's maybe one of the things that you've mm -hmm. chosen. And then you've got other burners mm -hmm. that are more familiar yeah. to people. That's true. Yeah, we have. Uh, we can. Uh, if you imagine your your your, your plain table, the top of your of your range, basically you have a choice of eight different options, aside from your basic gas burners. So you have your basic gas burners, right? And then next to that, you have eight other options that you can put in. 
uh, like uh, like you you know as I as you mentioned the, the hot plates, but you can also uh, we have a, a wonderful multi uh, multi cooker we call it, uh, which is a steamer uh, cooker w where you can steam food, you can poach food, you can cook in uh, cook food and as a double boiler. Uh, we have a different that's all in one thing. Yes. Yes, we have uh, we have a plancha, uh, which I believe we experienced today. Uh, uh, right, yes. but tell people what a plancha is. Well, the plancha is is you you imagine um, you imagine a sort of a embedded pan, right? Big rectangular. Big, exactly, pan. big rectangular plate, which would be a perfectly smooth, flat, non-stick because it's lined with chrome, non-stick pan which has the, the advantage of uh, having a thermostat. So you can actually heat up that pan to the exact temperature you want. Unlike a pan where you put the pan on a burner, uh, it's going to get hot. And at some point, you have to somewhat guess how hot it is before you put the food in. So there's, you know, some chef have tricks, some sparkle of water or, or, or something to give you an idea of how hot it is. In this case, you actually have a thermostat. So you can actually set the temperature of that plate to the degree you want, which means that if you cook salmon, like we did for lunch, uh, that salmon will be cooking, and I'm talking about in Celsius here, but I can translate roughly at uh, uh, 400 degrees uh, temperature of the surface. So you're going to get a beautiful caramelization without any burning. But then if you have something that needs more caramelization, you can go up or down. And, like um, a steak would be higher. Exactly. Or, or uh, if you want to cook uh, eggs, for instance, you would probably lower it uh, so it doesn't uh, fry, you know, and uh, it stays nice and, and, uh, and moist. So uh, this has a little trough all around exactly, the yes. so that you know, little if whatever you have coming over can in, in, run, run off the side. Exactly. In the case today, we had the salmon, and the salmon gives out some oil. You know, that's natural, and that oil basically runs off and get caught into that little groove on the edge. And uh, because it is chrome uh, and it's uh, non-reactive, you can also uh, deglaze. You know what deglazing is. You know, you would take some sort of a liquid and, and, and pour it on, on it so it would pick up all the caramelized uh, uh, proteins and turn it into a nice jus, you know. And uh, so it's a, it's a very interesting uh, tool. The beauty of it, we can also use it as a simmering plate because you can actually set pots on it. And uh, yeah, you hear in the background we have all these these noise from what the factory. What is all that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is a very authentic. Yeah, yeah, well, I yeah it's, uh, people are working here. <laughs> um, so uh, there's many things you can do with that uh, that plancha, and that's one of our options. Uh, we also have uh, induction burners, inter that's induction the flat, hops. Yes. Looks like glass that exactly. you would see, and mm -hmm. you can move your plates around Which, there. It's uh, very hot though. Well, and they run, yeah, it's a, it's a new technology, oh, somewhat new technology. It's not that new anymore. But uh, uh, in the States, I think it's, it's making its way uh, now uh, at home. And uh, once you try induction, uh, you, you, it's, it's hard not to, not to fall in love with it. It's, it's a very, very good uh, heating and cooking technology. So if I had a pot of water on a normal big gas burner mm -hmm. and I turned it all the way up, mm -hmm. how long would that take me to get to boil? Let's let's put it this way: you have uh, you have a pot, and let's start with 
two two of the same exact parts, okay? Because of course the parts right, have right. a have a big. Uh, so let's start by saying first you have the same part on both burners. Yeah, and. Uh, you will start with one quart of water in each at okay. the same temperature. You turn on both burners. One is an induction burner. It's about 1800 watts, which uh, amounts to about, uh, if I'm not mistaking, five, 5,000 BTUs. Uh, and and then this is electric. It's electric. And then the other one is gas, and it would be uh, a four kilowatt burner, which amounts to about uh, 12,000 BTUs. Okay, let's assume. Well, uh, I turn them on exactly at the same time. The induction will bring the water to a boil in about one minute and 10 seconds. The water on the gas burner will probably start boiling after four minutes. That's the old fashioned way. Well, <laughs> That's how we're yes, used to. yes and no, because you cannot, you cannot, I mean, there's some good advantage to induction. There's also some uh, things about gas that you cannot replace. I always compare it to the digital and analogical world, okay? Uh, induction is digital. It, it has this sort of clinical feel to it because you have no clue. You don't have heat coming out. You don't have the flame color coming out. You don't have anything to tell you how, how it, you it's- You just it, read the number. You just read the number. Where uh, gas has all this organic aspect, you know, that sort of a poetic, organic thing, you know, that gives gas what it is. So you turn it on, you turn it down, you feel it, you see it, it it's blue, it has all these things that, uh, and you, you feel the heat coming at you and all, and all these things that you cannot replace. So some people love induction, some people love gas. People like me as a professional, I like both. I like to cook on gas sometimes for some things, and I like to cook on induction for other things. But I don't think uh, one is better than the other. It's just two different technology. Now, I see that with the gas burners, which we mm -hmm. all would, would assume, okay, you're going to select some gas burners on the top mm -hmm. if you didn't choose induction as That's an right. example. Um, some of them are small rings. Mm -hmm. Some of them are big rings. I That's mean, true. What are the choices there? Well, I mean... And uh, why uh, would you choose uh, it? Well, a, a gas burner is very... It's extremely complicated, if not impossible, to get a gas burner to heat up from a very low end, let's say... 0 0.1, uh, you know, uh, 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 BTU or, or kilowatt, rather, uh, zero, you know, to a very high end, because the range is very long and very large, and uh, very often you're going to have to 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 stop either before it's too low or before it's too high. So, what happened is we have three size burners, four actually. So you have the small burner when you really want something of a very, very low heat. A really low sauce. Very low, exactly. Like Simmering. You, yeah, you're down there at the bottom of your burner and, and you can't, you just like, is Exa it gonna go out? Is exactly, go out? exactly, yeah. exactly. And then at the other end, we have the biggest burner we have, which is uh, the 18,000 BTU burner, who will give you the most power. And if you turn it down to its minimum, it reaches the, the a level which is about half of the power of the four kilowatt burner, which is the the next size down, yeah, and so on and so forth. So and they, they all exactly. overlap each other. They overlap each other, and that's how you basically choose the size of your burner. So you have a big pot of water mm -hmm. on a gas. Mm -hmm. You want the big burner, that's and right? That, and then you have some 
the little yes. sauce for them. And then exactly. you put that on the little one, and then they all get together exactly. and meal. <laughs> exactly. And the induction uh, has also different size burners, you know. Uh, but the induction has the ability, because it's electricity, it has the ability to go much lower or much higher than gas. But it doesn't function on the same, as I explained earlier, on, on the same field, you know. You turn gas down, it's down. Now, your pot may still be hot. Exactly, but, but exactly. Yeah, to me, to me, gas is very, as I say, very poetic, very, very, uh, it's much more in tune with, with uh, the love of cooking and how in, it interacts with you. Induction doesn't interact with you. Induction is, matter of fact, it's clinical. You tell me it's number three, it's number three, that's what it is. You know, level three, level four, level five. Gas is not like that. Depends on the kind of gas you're using, the power you have at your house. I mean, the, 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 the kind of um, uh, gas inlet you have. You know, all these things change. And some people love it, and some people simply don't prefer to have something very clinical. That's why we offer both. I, having spoken with two people today who each ordered, independent of mm -hmm. each other, live in different areas of the United States, each ordered uh, a, a Lacanche stove. They just talked about this struggle of, oh, yeah. oh and, not, and then there's the ovens and the warming mm -hmm. drawers, which mm -hmm. can also cook as an oven, and you do different things. Uh, the struggle they each described mm -hmm. independently is saying, mm -hmm. You know, if you just go down to the store and say, well, what model is this? And I'll take exactly. a couple of options. That's what, that is what we're used to on yes. the great economy of scale, mm -hmm. mass production. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, there, there are more limited things. No one had ever been through an experience like mm. this where you had to choose it because it is truly bespoke. This is your stuff. That's right. Exactly. And we're very proud of that. And at the same time, it's a dilemma for most of our clients. And that's why the training of our distributor is so important because they need to lead, they need to help the client going through. Let me tell you something here. Do you know you've been here for you know, a full day and you've seen everything, and maybe you know that, that the answer to this, to this question, but uh, I, it's my turn to give you a question. Um, what, uh, how, many, how many do you think, how many options, how many possibilities do you think we have? If you sit down today and say, I want a Lacanche stove, okay, I don't know what size, I don't know what color, I don't know what configuration, I don't know whatever. What can you give me? How many possible options or, or possible models you can have? Well, let's see. On the top, we have eight or ten, we decided. Mm -hmm. There are ten different options there. And then we have different sizes that go mm -hmm. up. And Forty-five. Forty-five. So forty-five, 45 size. It's 45, forty-five. Forty-five models. Models. Okay. So forty-five times forty-five. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say. That's right. Okay. Then there. you have twenty-four colors. Oh, and twenty-four colors. That's right. Then you have five different finishes, trims. Okay. okay. Then you have, as you mentioned, eight options. Then you have four different kind of of, uh, of ovens. And then you have. Uh, I don't remember the number, but you have a certain amount of number of configuration on surface, right or left. Oh, that's right. You can flip that's them right. the way you exactly. want. Exactly. Do you know how much it amounts to? Oh, yeah. How it's many? just short of infinity. Mm, well, not infinity, <laughs> but almost. It's about 300,000. 300,000. So the so, odds that you, uh, the two people exactly. have identical stoves. Exactly. 
They must. There must be a popular. Yeah. Well, we, uh, uh, yeah, we don't sell 300,000, you know, different <laughs> models uh, on, on, on no, no, but it's true. Yeah. We, we tend to sell some models more than others, but literally, if you were to really put it down on paper, we have the possibility of doing 300,000 different models. Now and that's have... what we face every day. I mean, and now you have the, you produce these ranches, they mm -hmm. get delivered all over the world, all mm -hmm. over France and all over the world. And the, the, the person who has bought it said, okay, I ordered the whole thing. Here it is. This big, beautiful range is here. How do I cook on it? What do they expect mm -hmm. that maybe that's right. They, they they may not be able to come up to their mm -hmm. expectation. That is that is very interesting. That's a very interesting question. And at this point, it's a dilemma for us because um, a lot of the what has been done in the in the industry, uh, domestic appliance industry, is to make ranges or in ovens and and uh, and cooktops and things uh, somewhat of miracle machines you know that uh, you don't want to think you take something you write you know you take a recipe you put ingredients together you pop it in the oven you close the oven and then you come back 25 minutes later and it's supposed to be fine that's what we are told you know uh, uh, to a point where uh, uh, the industry now sometimes doesn't even put temperature anymore on the knobs they put names you know like you have a program for tarts and you have a program for chicken and you, you have a program for like you know you, you hope that it's the same chicken that the guy who made the program you know uh used because otherwise you're, you're in trouble but anyway well we the 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 antithesis of of uh, of that you know what we do is we provide you with a very simple tool that gives you the temperature of your oven that gives you a good, obviously a good oven or a good, uh, and then uh, from there you, it's up to you to make it work the right way for you. So there's a learning curve, and uh, we are here, of course, to console our, our you know, our, our, our customers. But um, uh, most people in the beginning ask us, well, don't you have some sort of a of a of a of a program you know uh, for when i make a quiche you know how, how much well you know when you make a quiche you need an oven and you need a, a mold and you need a recipe and you need all that and you need you also you need to have you need to be there and understand what you know so it, it becomes a um, it becomes a little bit like um, i always make this comparison with cars because i think we all know what cars uh, are you know some people like cars because they do everything for them they don't think, you know, they turn on the key and then the car just tells them, you know, what to do and how to do it. And if they f fall asleep, it tells them. And, uh, and some other people like cars because they like driving. Our ranges are made for people who like cooking. And uh, doesn't mean that you need to know how to cook. But when you, on our ranges, when you cook, the result will be exactly what you expect it to be, depending on what you put in. I don't know if, it, if it's quite clear, but uh, uh, it's not a miracle machine. It's just a very, very good, reliable, non-electronic or very little electronic machine that's going to be your partner. It's like your sous chef, you know? And it's going to be your sous chef for, I guess, 30 or 40 for 30 years. years. Exactly, exactly. 
It's reliable. Every time you're going to need it, it's going to be there and it's going to respond the exact same way. And uh, once you know how to do something with it, it will repeat and repeat and repeat without any problems. And what does that anymore? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What does that anymore? You're right. I mean, we're very proud of the fact that we are one of the last uh, company that that actually hangs on to, to, to its tradition and working in France and, and making things differently. You know, we don't, you've been in the factory, you've seen that we don't pop out uh, units one after the other and we don't have any st stock. If you come today, you cannot come to us and say, oh, you know, I want this range. Uh, can you pull out one, uh, one, one out of the shelf? No. If you want a, if you want a range, you're going to have to order it. And we're going to start building it once it's ordered. Who does that? Who does that? Very, very, you know, it's, it's a very interesting business model. A lot of people will walk away from it because they would say, wow, my God, it, 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 it doesn't make any sense. I mean, you know, you need stock, you need, um, well, uh, it works for us, obviously for the last 30 years and it keeps working because we're growing, we're growing at a very good rate. Well, I would also say it, your assembly line is interesting because mm -hmm. there are rollers and mm -hmm. between the rollers, there are pieces of wood and, mm -hmm. and the stoves are on just very worn pieces of That's wood right, and you yeah. just kind of roll them along from mm -hmm. one station to the other so that mm -hmm. they can get one thing done yes, exactly. at a time. Exactly, it's like yeah. you have an assembly have, line, uh, it yeah. just doesn't look like no. General Motors in Detroit. True. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. You know, in some cases you have about uh, 12 to 15 people uh, uh, actually working on one unit. I mean, you know, adding things to it and, and building it. And in an, in, at the other end, when we're talking about a very big unit, which cannot be obviously produced on a sort of a assembly line, because right. we don't know uh, what, you know, we could not create a process for that because we don't know what the range is going to be. Then we have one person working on it. Only one from start to finish is going to start from a piece of wood on a, a piece of wood, meaning a pallet. Okay, not, not, uh, and then on that pallet is going to build the range from the bottom up. And at the end, sign it, sign off, and then we, we ship it. So it's all literally made by hand. And of course, we are very proud of the fact that they are also made, um, they are all the, these beautiful colors that you've seen are, uh, this is not paint, it's enamel. And enamel is, has nothing to do with paint, basically, because it's melted glass. Uh, it's imagine that we we spend a, gr a great deal of time uh, and, and effort to to create this finish, which is um, uh, a thin layer of melted glass, which is melted on metal, and it gives us uh, a lot of um, a, a lot of trouble uh, to make it because it's precious. It's uh, it's like jewelry. In fact, even though we have a number of colors, mm -hmm. you don't say, well, we have a batch of doors over mm -hmm. here because you have to do all of the processes to put the enamel on for a single stove at once because every batch of enamel could be different. Of course, because it's all natural product. I mean, uh, you know, enamel is, uh, is basically uh, the enameling process is a process where you take uh, uh, um, uh, sand, you know, uh, a glass basically, and that you put natural pigments in it. So it could be cobalt. 
that comes from South Africa or South America. And uh, depending on where it comes from, the blue is not going to be this, not going to be the same. And then you're going to mix it with uh, water and you're going to mix it with clay. And then you're going to, um, uh, spray it uh, on on the metal, and then you're gonna bake that metal at uh, about you know 800 degrees Celsius. I let you do the the calculation in Fahrenheit, and uh, we have to do that three times, and sometimes even four times, meaning four layers. And of course, uh, we all seen you know uh, images of. Uh, people doing pottery and they paint the thing uh, before baking it. And when it comes out, it doesn't have in the same color at all. Well, that's the same thing for us. Once the door or the paneling has gone through the oven, it comes out and it's blue. Okay, fine. Uh, but now if the next day we do another batch and then we run it again, the blue won't be the same. So you do Not everything exact, the same. Exactly. Same exactly. So we have one person at the enamel factory. Her job is to take every day the products, the base products that we have, mix it, make a tiny sample until she reaches the closest color to the, 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 the basic color we want. Then she writes the recipe and pass it on to the person who makes the batch. For that day. For that day. Because times have changed, humidity yeah. has changed. Yeah, and uh, and again, uh, maybe the supplier, the supply we have is run out, and now we have uh, again cobalt from nature. Doesn't give you, you know, a, a, a constant uh, product, and that's the same thing about cooking. I mean, one day you have a big tomato, the next day it's small, the third day it's green, the fourth day it's nice and juicy. You have to adapt. That's what we do. Well, Patrick, uh, I could talk to you for about three days, <laughs> but I, can, I know you have work to do, and so do I. So I appreciate you so much. Uh, I hope you come back and you. see us again. Yes, thank you, and it's a pleasure to meet you. Many thanks to Lacanche, to CEO Jean-Jacques Auguenier, and Director of Export, Chef Patrick Boisjot. More information is available at frenchranges.com or lacanche.com. That's L-A- C-A-N-C-H-E, lacanche.com. For Tech Nation, I'm Moira Gunn. Tech Nation and its regular segment, Biotech Nation, are produced at the studios of KQED-FM in San Francisco. Executive producer is Matt Gardner. The director of technical production is Monte Carlos. And audio engineers include Howard Gelman, Seal Muller, and Larry Upton. Our theme music was composed by Ann Nochtrieb Zessiger and Robert Powell, with title creation provided by NameLab Incorporated of San Francisco. Program information and Internet audio is available on the web at technation.com. TechNation and BiotechNation are productions of TechNation Media. I'm Paul Lancor. Music